Hi, this is Alistair Stewart. This is Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Carrying Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then try and find the silver lining, or flip it into something that, while possibly not positive, will at least be productive. Hi, Brock. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. What do you got for us today? <laughs> I have. Um, I had this, this lovely moment of, of kind of realization. I'm most of the way through Watch Dogs Legion at the moment. And there's a very important location in Watch Watchdogs Legion that I found out is real, and I wanted to talk about it. If you live in this country long enough, this country being Rain Island, you, you talk about London. Long enough, I've found, is about 10 minutes. However, recently I had reason to visit a digital version of one of my new favourite parts of London, the Stockwell Bunker. To give you some context, we need to talk about Watch Dogs. Watch Dogs is an incredibly strange video game franchise. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Uh, right. I, I, I'm just so happy to do a Watch Dogs episode. Here we go. <laughs> the original featured Aiden Pierce, a, a protagonist so off-the-shelf angsty that when he resurfaces in the third game, I instinctively referred to him as Old Man Gun Crime. <laughs> Brilliantly, the NPCs do as well. And people keep talking to him and going, oh, so you're not dead? No. Maybe showered. The 80s. All right, thanks, Aiden. Stand down, Wind. The second game is actually where I came in, and it's a glorious, deeply nuanced, and really weird love letter to an idealized version of San Francisco, where electric go-kart racing is a completely viable subplot, and uh, you, at one point, get to steal what's pretty clearly Kit from Knight Rider. Also, get to rob what is very obviously Martin Shkreli, uh, oh, at a time oh. where he had just been arrested. I still don't know how they made that the first <laughs> level in the game, but there they go. Ah, <laughs> uh, you, you get to mess him up. It's great. But no, it, seriously, Watch Dogs 2 is really good fun. It's well worth your time. Watch Dogs Legion is the third entry in this franchise, and as video games sometimes are, it's three good ideas in a bag with a lot of loose Lego. I'm not hating on anybody. Video game development, like every creative industry, is systemically underfunded and fetishizes work practices that literally kill people. So some scrawny-arsed acne farm whose username is LilCockCock420 can teabag racist stereotype terrorists in glorious 4K. Okay, we, we don't do that in podcasting. Often. But we do shout really rude words at Castle Spotify as the world's worst fucking Mask of the Red Death cover version continues to not get to the fucking good part. <laughs> anyway, Watch Dogs Legion is set in London, where a private military corporation has taken over the streets after a terrorist atrocity they have so clearly engineered. The idea is that DedSec, the hacker and anarchist collective you're always part of in these games, was framed and shut down or killed. So they recruit you. And you recruit everyone. Anyone on the street can be DedSec. It's like the Impossible Mission Force crossed with a WhatsApp group. It's a good time. It's also janky as hell, with cars appearing out of nowhere, frame rates dropping constantly, and in my favourite game bug I have ever encountered anywhere, at one point I snuck into a British intelligence building, past two people having an animated conversation in a sitting position 30 feet above the ground. Regardless... <laughs> It's a really fun time, and it, as is always the case in games like this, you are betrayed by one of your own. The villain of the piece ends up working out of a civil defense bunker that's accessible on the street, and you go in and have a fight with them. It's, it's a good time. And the thing is, the civil defense bunker is really there. It's called the Stockwell War Bunker. The best way to describe it is it looks like a brutalist wedding cake. It's right on the street, and it's one of eight. Ten were planned, deep shelters, built during the Blitz in World War II. 
I'm now going to say words which will mean nothing to anyone outside the UK, but they sound nice. They were located mostly along the nor northern line on Stockwell, Clapham North, Clapham Common, Camden Town, Belsize Park, Googe Street and Clapham South, with the last on the central line near Chancery Lane. And yes, they absolutely listed those because there's music in names. And also because someone somewhere listening to this just yelled Mornington Crescent. <laughs> a brief diversion. Mornington Crescent is a game played for the first time on radio comedy show I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue in 1978. It is still played today. Here is the world's most carefully worded Wikipedia description. The game consists of each panellist in turn announcing a landmark or street, most often a tube station on the London Underground system. The ostensible aim is to be the first to announce Mornington Crescent, a station on the Northern Line. Interspersed with the turns is humorous discussion amongst the panellists and host regarding the rules and legality of each move, as well as the strategy the panellists are using. The actual aim of the game is to entertain the other participants and listeners with amusing discussion of the fictional rules and strategies. It is basically linguistic anarchy, and if I can find you a YouTube mix of some of the best bits of it, I will. Back to Stockwell. This thing is ugly. It's two tunnels on top of each other, accessed by pillbox-sized entrance shafts. The Stockwell Shelter, which was completed in 1942, was initially used by the government until it opened to the public in 1944. And if you think there's a certain class dimension to here's a really good deep bomb shelter that it's very hard to get killed in, let's have the government use it, then you're absolutely on the right lines. With the war finishing a year later, it fortunately didn't get that much use, and after V-Day, it was briefly used to house military personnel. So basically, this is the most British thing you can possibly imagine. It's a fort inside a city on a traffic island. Or it used to just be that. Artists Brian Bond and Myra Harris turned it into a war memorial in 1999. They brainstormed with nearby local school kids, and the images are actually inspired by local history. And here's where this gets amazing, because Stockwell, which is a nothing little part of London, has had some gargantuan names come through it. Among the famous faces pictured include actor Sir Roger Moore, who grew up there, and Vincent van Gogh, who lived nearby between 1873 and 1874. It also depicts the MV Empire Windrush ship, which brought Caribbean emigrants to Britain, with many settling in Brixton and the surrounding areas. Some new arrivals actually ended up sleeping in a makeshift hostel in the Clapham South Deep Level Centre until they found more long-term accommodation. Oh, and if you want to be really fucking angry, read about how the Windrush generation were treated by the third most recent government here on Bigot Island. Then pause and think for a moment about how, compared to the ones we have now, they were nice. Let's move on. The mural was expanded in June 2001 with the addition of war hero and special agent Violette Charbot, who spent her teen years living in Stockwell. On the top of the mural features a quote from Robert Lawrence Binion's poem For the Fallen, originally published in September 1914. So what this has become, in essence, is this shelter that has become a fort, which is also a traffic island, which is now a mural, and it's basically a visual history of the fact that this resolutely unremarkable area of London has had incredible people come through it. It's still ugly as sin, but now it's got art on it, and the thing I love about that is it's actually become its own process. A war bunker that became an eyesore that became a scar with a tattoo over it. It's a mark not just of London's resilience, but of everyone's resilience. Plus, the fight I had with a renegade hacker in there was actually really fun. I, I opened the link and took one look at the building and immediately flashed back to 
the only level in the game I had to replay for several hours in order to <laughs> beat. I, 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 I had a visceral reaction to seeing this building, so I was like, ah, that's a, that's a memory, I guess. I didn't know I cared that much about it at the time, but uh, why is it so familiar to me? Oh, yeah, I tried to go inside like uh, two dozen times didn't really crack that one for me i think i screwed up four times there is this ridiculous simon says with static on a monitor that you have to do to unlock an elevator in there and on the fourth one when tiny little death spiders fell from the ceiling i was like you know what i think i'm just gonna cheat i think i'll just open the walkthrough and and that was that was much more fun <laughs> oh my god do you have a caring to go with uh watch dogs which uh, if I have an extended bit on my first stand-up album uh, about the first game because it had just come out at the time. And uh, yeah, as Aiden Pierce, you can uh, you can do a lot of things, including uh, when you're being chased in your car, since you're, you know, a hacker, you can cause uh, manhole covers to explode to stop cars that are chasing you. And at the time, it <laughs> broke my brain, the idea that uh, hacking, uh, you can do literally anything. Yeah, I, I do have a carrying into the void on this one. Good. They say there's no glory in a scar. They say it's just a reminder of trauma, a mark on the passage of time. Just another place that hurts when it gets cold. And honestly, there are days when that's true. But something else is true more often. A scar has no glory. A scar is a reminder. But a scar is also a good start. Sometimes, when the ground is broken, that means something new can be planted in it. Sometimes, when something is a reminder of an uglier time, it can be painted. Not over, but in, welcomed into the community of your timeline. It's always there, because everything that happens to us is always there, sitting in its room in our own personal memory palaces, waiting for us to open the door, waiting for us to relive it. So open the door. Decorate the room, because nothing is ever ugly forever, and every now and then, you just need to paint something. I love it. Thank you, dude. <laughs> I would like to paint something. <laughs> yeah. I, we, there's a there's an art store down the street from my, my business, and like every time I drive past it, I'm like, is today the day I buy an easel? <laughs> every day i'm like what if today was the easel day and like one day it's gonna be and then i'm gonna look at it and go i don't know where this goes i don't know how to begin <laughs> uh but i'll take the dive eventually <laughs> when when you do please let me know because i would i would very much love to hear your adventures on easel day or i'll take your actual advice here and paint a building and uh, we'll see how far i get like i kind of stuck out already <laughs> <laughs> So, what do you have for us? Uh, so, this is what I was going to do a few back and uh, was just like, you know what? I want to keep looking into it because uh, I feel like there's a lot there. And there is. There's so much that it wouldn't make sense to make it part of our bite-sized podcast. So, going back to this one that's mostly based in a uh, National Geographic UK article that came out at the start of the year uh, in 2022. Uh, and it's basically... Uh, I'm just fascinated with the origins of the air raid siren. So, uh, 30s, we started having, uh, you know, the UK is experiencing bombings, uh, which starts with dudes flying over in planes and literally just lighting bombs and throwing them out by hand. 
mm-hmm. and eventually gets up to like zeppelins and stuff and so <laughs> they're really trying to figure out how do we do a system to let people know the bombs are coming go go take care of yourselves get underground or whatever because they'd, they'd reached a point where between phones and stuff they could tell when when there was an attack coming 10 15 minutes out and the best system they sort of had at the time was to radio relay but there there's only if you're going one at a time mostly you can tell your mates and then you're out of time so it wasn't an effective way of letting everyone know so then they got into like we we think we got this idea it's like a siren but it's also a bunch of balloons that'll go up uh, and so I, which I kind of wish that that one had taken off so that uh, along with the air raid siren, we would just collectively associate doom with the sight of a balloon. Like, oh, oh my shit. God, yes. Yeah, just all hot air balloons. You're like, no, 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 no. Get in fucking side. Uh, <laughs> so they're working on all this stuff. They wind up with like a horse powered siren at one point. And they're like, I think that this is, I think that this is sort of manageable. Let's let's try it out. But their their goal is to have a, a sound that can travel a mile radius, sort of around it. And it turns out that getting sound to travel is harder than they think. Uh, so they have to go back to the drawing board a lot on this because I don't know. On a windy day, it's not making it. So they finally figure out it's got to be way up high. Uh, there's going to be steam involved for some of them. Uh, there's a rotating disc with speed holes. Like uh, it's end of 18th century when they first get into this, but by the 30s they're like, we really need to have a system in place here. And the problem <laughs> that they run into is one that is very much based in classism and then is also based in uh, humanity. the The problem that they ran into is that once they got these sirens installed. Uh, to warn people about planes coming in, to warn them about zeppelins coming in, the the air raid sirens became more of like, a, uh, "Hey, everyone, come check this shit out." So everyone was like running <laughs> outside to gawk at, at things. I don't know when's the last time they saw a fucking zeppelin. I want to go catch right. This. And then it's less that and more this that got uh, the government to be like, "We really got to tweak this." which is that uh, if they set off the siren, people stopped working. People would leave the factory and go home to be with their family and make sure everyone was safe, and then they wouldn't come back the rest of the business day. And they were like, boy, howdy, uh, this is really starting to cost us when people choose to go be with their families uh, thinking they're going to die. That's what got them really upset about this, which, to their credit, it it was wartime, and a lot of these factories were just making munitions. So they were like, look, if if we set it off more than once a day, we're going to fall behind on having bullets to actually fight this war. And that's not uh, that's not preferable. And then they also like they they were setting it up in small towns uh, outside of the major cities where the sort of folks that live in the British countryside, when it started getting up to like multiple alarms per day letting them know about stuff they were less upset about being bombed and more sort of annoyed by the constant interruptions so they started complaining to the government or taking down the sirens themselves just sort of like i can't stand this noise let's get rid of it which for 
anyone that's looked at a, an alert on their phone that they got in the middle of the night and been like, I have no idea why I need to know about that thing. I can't really help. Uh, yeah, we've always been more annoyed by uh, somebody trying to protect us or warn us our lives are in danger. So, yeah, they had to sort of figure out a system for what kind of things different alarms meant. And at some point, this really spiraled out into uh, a system where there were different rhythms of the siren being used to indicate whether or not it was a gas attack or something. You know how right now on Twitter, check marks are coming in a bunch of different shapes and colors to mean different things and no one can really keep up? Yeah. People just sort of got confused and then they fell back into like going outside to see what it is. Not not this time to gawk, but this time to be like, I can't remember which one the bop, bop, bop is. Is that gas attack? Is that a hurricane? Uh, is that Godzilla? I, I, I forget which one this is. Is this the good one? Well, and that's the problem, too, was that uh, th they could only do sort of like heads up warnings on some of these things and then they'd turn them off. And so people didn't know when to come back out again. So they started doing the same siren again as an all clear. So as you can tell, there's some real issues with the all clear and the hide underground being the same sound for the same oh period of time. <laughs> it's not on people for being addicted to spectacle. Uh, yeah. So there's, there's a long history here where the technology itself wasn't as hard to crack as it was for government officials to look down on the population while also clearly not making any sort of system they themselves could naturally comprehend. Uh, so the classism uh, and racism of the air raid siren system I, I found very fascinating. So the uh, caring to go with this one is it's practically cheating the way you let yourself in. From a great height, there's no one to stop you, no one to tell you that your sovereign heir belongs to them, and no one who knows what you'll do next. The funniest part to you, of course, is watching them dance and run and play that same stupid little song, that one that serves as your herald of arrival, that noise that echoes hill to valley and down each and every cobblestone street. Your presence is more than enough as you've grown to feel comfortable in your shape and size, but this is comical, the way that they try to help themselves, but only make it worse. The way they make their own fear and let it spread farther than anyone can even see me or you. The way they're doing your work for you. Well, let them continue to welcome you in this particular charade they've decided on. Let them play that symphony commissioned in your name. It's just one more thing you can check off your list. That's beautiful. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of. Uh, I'm a fan of you guys always uh, testing the bad ideas and then letting us uh, come in behind you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I, Americans wouldn't have been a better test audience in the same situation. We just got to skip the embarrassing parts. So, uh, yeah, thank you for your service. <laughs> you're you're welcome. Yeah, let's let's go with welcome. Ah. Oh. See, I, I just every time I go to the cinema at the moment, there's there's always someone making noise, and it's usually a kid, and a lot of the time I, I I don't do anything about it because I tend to sit as far away from other people as possible, so I'm like I can focus in, I'm fine. But I I went to see something last week. And I was heading down the stairs, and the lady behind me was talking to her partner, and and she was saying like those kids were so noisy. I I why didn't anyone say anything? And I resisted the urge first of all to go. Why didn't you say anything? 
and then to go, why didn't I say anything? And this entire island exists in those bubbles. It's that kind of, is the six feet around me on fire? No. I'm basically <laughs> fine. Perfect. Do you have a self-care into the void this week? I do. It's a really simple one as well. It's, as as we're recording this, it's the end of the year, the start of the, the new year for you. The sun is slowly trekking back from the night lands, and everything is entering its triumphant seventh year of being at least partially on fire. Hydrate, sleep, eat, go outside when you can, make sure you're eating protein, don't be an asshole. It's not a complex victory condition, but if you can stick to those, you're doing better than the current CEO of Twitter. Unless, of course, he's finally got the point and fucked off by the time this episode airs. Fingers crossed, eh? Regardless, drink some water, eat some food, get some sleep. You deserve it. I'm never sure if uh, when we record an episode for the future and make some hopeful predictions, if it's going to wind up being worse when people hear it, if it hasn't happened. They're like, yeah, they they gave him a couple of weeks head time and uh, things have only gotten worse since then. So uh, that... That hope is not contagious on this one. <laughs> what 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 the hell are they talking about? The current CEO of Twitter is the Balrog. This what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> oh sure, yeah, a likable CEO of Twitter. That's worse. Uh, <laughs> uh, my self care is to go sign up for a Substack. Uh, Liz Cook, who's a writer that I uh, get to the pleasure of working with with some frequency, has a Substack called Haterade. Uh, where she uh, just does horrible food experiments to herself. She is an award-winning food journalist uh, who just loves a good mouth crime. Uh, and so uh, she's going to be actually the focus of an upcoming episode. You should get your foot in the door on Haterade now. Uh, so you can uh, bop around with that one. Heart heartily seconded as well. I subscribe to Haterade based on Brock's recommendations. And, <laughs> and it's the best. I, I don't know why I lucked into getting to work with that person, but she's the best to what my city has to offer. Um, my little platforming into the void is a movie that's on streaming now. It's called Something in the Dirt. Uh, it's oh, cool. Made, it's a film made by two guys, uh, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. They've made some stuff called like Resolution, Synchronic, The Endless. They really like uh, these these sort of small indies that are usually two guys dealing with something that's pretty fucked up. Uh, and the, gosh dang, they're always just such a delight. So they made this film called Something in the Dirt. They both co-star in it. It is, it is definitely a pandemic-made film. Uh, it's about two strangers that uh, live in the same apartment building in Los Angeles. There's definitely something from another world that they both find at the same time uh, in in one of their apartments. Uh, it's just this weird sort of floaty, glowy thing. And they're like, I don't know, we should maybe document whatever this is. Is this ghosts? Is this aliens? Whatever it is, it's 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 certainly weird. Uh, and what unfolds is is two hours of two guys that are just built on Wikipedia wormholes and conspiracy theories and science that's maybe science, just constantly bouncing ideas off each other. And it's what it feels like inside of my brain. But equally, there's these wild disconnects and inconsistencies. And there is a twist uh, involving how this film has come together, uh, whether it's an actual documentary or a recreation, or straight-up fiction, uh, and it's sort of everything all at once, 
it's it's a beautiful beautiful tiny little masterpiece that uh can't recommend it enough brilliant i have seen several of their films i love synchronic i love the endless which is the funniest ufo death cult movie ever made uh and that hands down. that is that is absolutely on my list thank you i will go check that out what do you got for us uh, I, I have two. I have a very short one and a movie. The very short one is there is a track called Witch Part by Blakey featuring Newborn on Watch Dogs Legion. It's one of the kind of hundred or so tracks on the radio stations. And it's glorious. It is horror movie piano with the most exuberant syllable-chewing pseudo-drill London rap you can possibly <laughs> imagine. You will know it when you hear it. It would spin up on the radio stations as I was playing the game, and it took me, about, I think, about an hour to find it on purpose, and it is so, so good. And the other one is a movie called Anna and the Apocalypse. Yes. Anna and the Apocalypse is a zombie movie teenage musical set in a tiny Scottish town. It maps the horrors of leaving school onto the horrors of the dead walking, and it is brilliant. John McPhail directs a script by Alan MacDonald and Ryan McHenry, based on McHenry's short movie in 2010. Ryan McHenry, by the way, ran the Vine account where someone was trying to feed Ryan Gosling breakfast cereal on his TV. <laughs> and McHenry died a couple of years before the movie came out, and in one, genuinely one of the classiest things I have ever seen. I want to say it is the only Vine, only Vine Ryan Gosling ever put up, but he published a Vine of him sitting at a table, with a bowl of cereal, and he lifts a spoon of it, nods to the camera, and eats it. And he very specifically <laughs> dedicated it to Ryan McHenry and his family, and I, I fucking love that. The cast were largely unknowns when the movie came out. They all deserve to break big. Ben Wiggins and Sarah Swire are, are especially great. Wiggins is, Nick, is uh, Anna's best friend and deeply good egg, and Swire is uh, the local ball of righteous Canadian fury looking for a good fight. <laughs> <laughs> Ella Hunt is Anna. She would go on, I believe it's they, pardon me, would go on to Dickinson and is incredible here. By the way, the entire movie is worth it because the songs are all great. And in an early song, Ben Wiggins absolutely eats shit. He delivers one of the best pratfalls I've ever seen. He, he literally just goes, Rah! and face plants. It is so well, well handled. <laughs> it, it's funny and heartbreaking and a genuinely great musical. And if you haven't seen it, it's also kind of a Christmas movie. So now's a good time. Fantastic. Uh, thank you guys all for giving this here a listen. Uh, do you want to take us out on this one, Alistair? Happily. Uh, if you like the show, please consider leaving a review. Your artisanal podcatcher of choice is great. iTunes and Google are great. Discoverability in general is great. So if you could help out with that, we would really appreciate it. Also, do you like clothes? Do you like books? Do you like stickers? Do you have the internet? If the answer to all of these questions is, is a cautious and increasingly worried about where <laughs> Alistair is going, yes. Then do we have the website to recommend to you? Void Merch, our dear friend and co-host Jordan Shively's uh, design store, has an embarrassment of riches of amazing clothing and ephemera. Just go buy some stuff. It's great. Jordan's great. All the designs are great. So... If you want to catch up with us in between now and the next episode, I am notionally still on Twitter at time of recording uh, at Alistair Stewart. I think it's probably best to assume I'll still be there. But if you want to get in contact, if you check out AlistairStewart.com, that's probably a much more stable way of doing so. RockWilbur.com, a place that'll always kind of sort of be there. That, that should be on the masthead. It'll always kind of sort of be there. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you all for joining us. And Brock, thank you. This continues to be an absolute delight. We will see you next time. And remember, keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and many. And we'll see you next time in the void. 
Bye.